This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 96 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, as always here on this Sunday uh, at the kind of the tail end of January. We got one more show uh, coming up at the end of January, but happy to have all of our listeners with us as always. We've got uh, a little bit of news and center ICU news and notes as always. Uh, some St. Cloud State men's hockey, some St. Cloud State women's hockey. Kind of an interesting weekend, a great weekend for the men's hockey team and the women's hockey team. Uh, a little bit up and down, but a really good battle against Bemidji State. We're going to talk a little bit about the Minnesota Wild, kind of talk about how they've been doing recently uh, back in action this weekend. And then we've got an extra ice session. We're going to talk about a couple of my pet peeves, Nick, and I think you'll like them. They do relate uh, largely to the NHL, but I think hockey in general, I think you're really going to enjoy them, and listeners should definitely stick around for that. But we're going to start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Noah Center Ice View News and Notes. Uh, St. Cloud State men's team had uh, one heck of a weekend, um, actually setting multiple records um, against the Miami Red Hawks, who uh, last place team in the NCHC um, coming into it. Huskies haven't played for three weeks, so, you know, wasn't really any guarantee how this series was going to come out, at least on paper. Um, and then we were reminded that Miami's also last place in St. Cloud is, <laughs> is much better. Uh, Miami coming into the weekend series, one ten and one, the NCHC, um, this series, 11 goals on a Friday for St. Cloud. And again, eight on Saturday set an NCHC conference record for most goals in a weekend series with 19. Uh, just unbelievable. Right? So as you mentioned, 11 to one on Friday and in uh, that contest, uh, St. Cloud State matched their largest margin of victory of 10 goals. Uh, that matches a, a win against Western Michigan back in 2015. Um, but how about Nick Perbix uh, setting a couple of records, also tying another one? He actually becomes the first defenseman in NCSU history with a six-point evening, also tying uh, Brennan Samper with the most assists in the game. Uh, and that goes back to, I believe, 2000 um, in a game against Minnesota. So um, quite the... Evening there for Nick Perbix, who was heading to the Olympics for Team USA in just a couple of weeks. Um, Zach Wokabi, um had two goals on Friday, beat Team Yetten, also had two goals on Saturday. So a couple of players 
with multi-goal games. Actually, even Kevin Fitzgerald, not that I think of it, also had two goals on Saturday as well. Um, Ten players overall had a goal. Fourteen, 14 players had assists. Eight players had multi-point games. Uh, two for two on the power play, five for five of the PK, I believe, on Friday. And then Saturday, two for three in the power play in that eight to nothing shutout, his second of the season. That would be David Rank between the pipes. And how about this? Um, Noah, three shorthanded goals on the weekend, including one that was on a five-on-three. Yikes. So, I yeah. mean, it, it wasn't great. Um, Kyla Kruka had three assists um, uh, on Saturday, uh, 14 and six now overall for St. Cloud, six and four in conference play. Um, but it doesn't get easier. In fact, uh, the gauntlet for the NCHC starts uh, just next weekend as uh, the Huskies will be on the road the next two weekends. They'll start in uh, a grand force against the Fighting Hawks before, um, you know, uh, I suppose going over to Denver. So it, it, it gets only tougher from here. Yeah, quiet, quietly three assists from Kyler Kupka on Saturday too, which is really cool. And David Rennick is 12th shutout uh, in school history. So good for him to see him on the board on that. Speaking of goaltenders, Nick, uh, women's hockey, we had a record uh, set by a women's goaltender, although one that you probably don't necessarily want to have, but she has it anyway. So St. Cloud State women's hockey back in action against Bemidji after their three-week hiatus on Friday. The Huskies eking out a 2-1 to win uh, despite being outshot 37-17. So it was good to see St. Cloud at least uh, be productive with quality shots, not quantity. Uh, both goals coming from Olivia Savar and both assists coming from Courtney Hall. So kind of identical on the score sheet there. Each team over one on the power play and Emma Paluzny stopping 36 shots. She didn't set the record on Friday. It happened on Saturday. Same score, two to one finish, uh, one goal contest. Bemidji State getting the best of the Huskies with two goals to start this contest. Addie Scribner, the lone goal from Taylor Lynn and Grace Wolf. Uh, both teams not converting on the power play, and shots were 42 to 26 this night in favor of the Beavers. And Emma Paluzny stopped 40, moving her to first all time past Lauren Geiselman's mark of 3,077 saves. Uh, pretty crazy. Also think about Lauren Geiselman, um, you know, making that record in only four seasons as opposed to, to five for Emma Paluzny. But nonetheless, the team moving to eight, 13 and one overall and three, 12 and one in conference play. And the gals will host Wisconsin next weekend at the Herbrooks national hockey center. So, um, Kind of an up-and-down weekend for the women's hockey team, but uh, nonetheless par for the course against the Bemidji team that has really given the Huskies a tough run every time they play. Uh, no question. And, uh, you know, how about uh, Olivia Savar's goal uh, making uh, number two on the Sports Center top ten yeah. on Friday night? That was a, a pretty nice goal. In fact, I'm, I'm trying to remember the men's player that scored a very similar goal a couple of years back um, where he was also uh, kind of falling and then was able to chip it over the shoulder. Uh, pretty nice skill play there from Savar, who uh, has probably been a little bit sneak bit offensively, uh, I would say, for most of the season. But as you mentioned, uh, let's get to some NHL news, shall we? So Montreal, try to put the pieces back together, especially in the front office. They finally have hired their GM, and it is Kent Hughes. Uh, he's been a player agent for 25 years, uh, so he's been around the league a little bit. Um, first client, actually, they had was Vincent LeCavalier. Um, Tampa Bay Lightning fans may know that name quite well. That was back in 98 when those two first paired up uh, to tackle the National Hockey League. Um, he will obviously now work alongside newly hired uh, president of hockey operations, Jeff Gordon. Uh, and just a little bit of background about uh, Hughes. Uh, he's the father of New York Rangers prospect Riley Hughes and 2022 draft eligible, eligible prospect Jack Hughes. Um, the last name Hughes has been kind of making a, a kind of a, you know, a bit of a rise in the NHL. 
yeah. just a little bit. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but congratulations to Kent. Um, he, he's got, and no question, he's got his work cut off for him. The Montreal Canadiens, uh, uh, very much far and away from where they were last season after making a Stanley Cup final run. And it's going to be a lot of work to try to rebuild that program to uh, get back to that point. But let's talk a little bit more, uh, some Canadian NHL news, right? So, uh, NHL scheduled, uh, I should say, rescheduled over 100 games. Um, but in each Canadian province, they've kind of been handling it differently. Uh, but just recently, Ontario has announced that its sports venues can return up to 50% capacity as of February 21st and then full capacity back to March 14th. So a big reason why that the NHL has postponed a bunch of the games north of the borders because, again, uh, they need that ticket revenue. And uh, when uh, a bunch of the provinces, including Ontario and Quebec and Alberta, uh, Manitoba decided to either limit or halt. Uh, NHL came in and said, nope, we're going to reschedule those. So um, pretty crazy. Um, speaking of the NHL, a uh, little bit more positive news, um, at least maybe for those who want to think about, they're going to stop <laughs> testing asymptomatic players um, after the all-star break, February 7th. Uh, so the NHL and the NFL have kind of followed suit here. Um, so this is something where the NHL and the NHLPA actually sat down and agreed to um, as what hopes to be a continuing trend as COVID-19 cases continue to decline uh, both the U S and Canada, as well as worldwide. Uh, prior to that, um, fully vaccinated players were tested at least once every 72 hours, while unvaccinated players were tested every 48 hours. Uh, so, you know, that is, it was probably a good thing during, you know, this big rise. And hopefully as we continue to see the fall, um, you know, we'll have to worry about as much. But it doesn't mean that testing is over, right? So it'll be on a for-cause basis. So uh, fully vaccinated players um, and staff who develop symptoms will be tested at that point. Um, and there will also be testing for any cross-border travel, again, as Canada and the U.S. have, have different guidelines for that as well. Um, but then what happens if a player comes positive, right, Noah? Um, then they won't be subject uh, to be tested for 90 days um, uh, after they leave isolation. So basically the thought there is, well, if you're positive, you got some natural immunity. Uh, we're not going to open up that red hole. I'm not going to go there. But that's how the NHL is going to handle that from there on forth. Um so how about some players impacted by this, right? So Detroit Red Wings for Tyler Bertuzzi is the only NHL's only player who isn't vaccinated against COVID-19. So uh, that's a pretty good percentage rate, I would say, Noah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, so this new policy really only affects one guy. So um, it's a, you know, I think it, it's, it, you can look at it two ways, right? It's good and it's bad. I think that the overwhelming news I think we need to focus on, at least from everybody's standpoint is, we're starting to see what looks to be the peak um, of this thing. And, and hopefully for whether it's professional athletes or you and I back at home, that these things continue to, to go down. And, you know, again, we can try to get more back to normal. I think it's, that's the biggest thing. Um, speaking of normal um, and things that have not been normal, um, how about this? In the American Hockey League, uh, San Jose Ford, uh, a Christoph Rabick, um, has been suspended for 30 games after a racist uh, gesture. So uh, not good. Yeah. Uh, directed at a Tucson Roadrunners player, uh, Baku Imama, um, who is uh, of African-American descent. And uh, basically, uh, you know, I didn't see the exact uh, video here, the exact comments. Uh, but, you know, there was an apology issued um, by Rabick. And uh, let's take a quote of that real quick, Noah. Uh, the gesture was made in heat of the battle. And while I didn't mean anything racist by what I did, I realize now 
that through my own ignorance, how my gesture could be interpreted. I alone am responsible for that. And I was terrible and I make no excuses End quote. Uh, this may be probably not the greatest segue, but that seems incredibly lawyer scripted, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least there was an apology. I mean, the, that's better than the UHL, <laughs> you know, can say, you know, way back that's when, fair. but yeah, yeah, 30, 30 games. That's a huge, that's a huge suspension as it should be. It was good to see the AHL handle that appropriately. And um, yeah, always tough to kind of comment on, on those sorts of things. There's also the other kind of sad story we didn't comment on is Reed Boucher. If you haven't gotten a chance to uh, take a look at that one, we're not going to open that one up. I really don't want to talk about that at this point, honestly, but um, if you haven't gotten a chance, go check that out. Katie Strang doing wonderful work as always for the athletic. It's a really good story as well too, but yeah, the vaccination piece um, kind of an interesting one there too, with that protocol and the asymptomatic players. So we'll have to see how that goes. The hope I think overall is that just the cases you know, everywhere, not just in the National Hockey League, start to decline. So we'll have to see. We'll keep our eyes on it um, and uh, fingers crossed, if you will. So some final topics, uh, uh, you know, some wild trends in the NHL, some injuries. We had a retirement and a passing of a Hall of Fame legend. So let's start in Boston. Uh, the Bruins finally retired Willie O'Ree's number 22 to the rafters this past week, coming exactly 64 years after O'Ree became the NHL's first black player. So um, a great, great ceremony, uh, a groundbreaking achievement. Um, even more impressive, he lost 95% of his sight in his right eye after being hit by a puck two years before he ever actually made it to the National Hockey League. So an incredible, incredible story if you haven't gotten a chance to check out Willie O'Ree um, and his journey to the National Hockey League. Unfortunately, uh, pun intended, the Bruins also played blind that night, losing to Carolina 7-1. to uh, So it was not a great moment on the ice for the team in black and yellow. O'Ree is currently 86 uh, speaking of 86 in the mid 80s, let's talk about Clark Gillies, a uh, former star in the 1980s Hall of Famer. He passed away at age 67 this week, four time Stanley Cup champion, and his number nine has been retired by the Islanders. They did not list a cause of death, but I mean, what an iconic legend, uh, you know, through that dynasty that the Islanders had for so long. So, uh, wishing the Gillies family nothing but the best as they go through this difficult time. I think the whole hockey world was kind of stunned by that one. Um, let's talk about the National Hockey League today. A pair of trends. The Philadelphia Flyers, uh, they really suck, Nick. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Ch <laughs> sorry, Chuck Fletcher and Mike Yo. There's nothing I can say that, that can help this. The team has lost 10 straight games for the second time this season. Uh, first skid cost, costing Elaine Vigneault his job after the first eight games of that you know, that first skid. And then Mike Yo, of course, has been at the helm for this second one. And, yeah, it has been – not so great in Philadelphia. I think the thing that's even more crazy, think about this, is that Philadelphia has lost, you know, 20 games plus over the stretch of this, and yet they are not last in the National Hockey League or the Eastern Conference. So that gives you a lot of understanding of <laughs> how bad some of these other cellar dwellers are. You know, Arizona and played Buffalo the other night, and that was not must-watch TV. <laughs> you know what? You know what's interesting too, Noah? Um you know, when you when you look at two different coaches and two losing streaks of 10, you know, you start to kind of wonder, you know, is it really coaching? You know, yeah. you know, and granted, does that mean that they're completely immune to blame? Of course not. But you, you sort of wonder, um, you know, where this team is, where they're going. It seems like the last couple of seasons when they've kind of been trending in the wrong direction. Um, 
for me, knowing Mike, yo, I know he's been, you know, I, at least for me, I think he's a hell of a hockey coach. Um, now, do I believe that he's head coach material? Um, just from his time with the wild, I think he had trouble uh, dealing with some of the, uh, you could call it the Eagles or personalities when he was here. Yeah. Um, he's so, never, he's never been a player coach. Never has been. No, no. And, and then, you know, of course, Chuck Fletcher, uh, picks him up after he spent some time in St. Louis, obviously in the staff with then former head coach Elaine Vigneault. Um, yeah, just not a good time for the NHL's, uh, Philadelphia Flyers. I'm sure Greddy isn't very happy either. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, 13, 20 and eight are Philadelphia last in the metropolitan division and a minus 39 goal differential. Um, just brutal only six home wins so they have losing records at home away they haven't won a shootout oh eight and two in their last 10 just not great yeah uh, yeah i would say not not so great <laughs> that's no i mean there's nothing else you can say um, that's pretty brutal speaking of things that are must watch tv um in san jose timo meyer had a whale or a shark of a game uh pretty impressive five goals on six he didn't jump the shark we'll put it that way (laughs) no kidding five goals on six shots against los angeles over two periods uh the first player in sharks history to ever score five goals in a hockey game uh don't forget also a long time ago he had four goals in one contest in his rookie year remember that uh between the legs when he went shelf against the rangers uh, a long time ago too so he's actually just the fifth player in the nhl to score five goals in a game since 2000 so that kind of lets you know how rare one of those feats is in fact uh um i think johan franzen wait a second five goals in the game no because marion gabbert did it in 2007 against the rangers he's the fifth nhl player since 2005th oh i thought you said first (laughs) tells you how awake i am it's been a long weekend yeah um, I was going to say that's that's an Associated Press release there, buddy. <laughs> anyway, um, first, okay. fifth, it, it all process the same in my head. Apparently. All right. I got I do have a first for you, though. Uh, the first to pull off the feet in the first two periods of a hockey game since Peter Bondra back in 1994. So if it makes you feel any better, the first time that happened, I wasn't alive. You were. So let that soak in. Um, <laughs> anyway, in injury news, uh, Montreal getting some good news. Um, Carey Price has started rehabbing his knee, but he's well away from um, being ready. And the team also getting some bad news as well, besides the fact that they also really suck at hockey. Um, the team will be without other netminder Jake Allen for eight weeks after a lower body injury. Um, let's stay in Canada, shall we? Winnipeg, good news and bad news as well. Nikolai Ehlers out for a few weeks with an MCL sprain after a knee-on-knee hit from Washington defenseman Dmitry Orlov. That was kind of an awkward little collision there. Uh, but the team did activate Blake Wheeler uh, for the first time since December 10th, so they do get him back in the lineup hopefully soon. And last two injuries of the week. Toronto without defenseman Jake Muzzin after he suffered a concussion a week ago. And the Buffalo Sabres are without rookie phenom Jack Quinn for four to six weeks with a lower body injury. And welcome in to episode number 96 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson, who is still confused about how numbers work. One does not equal five, but hey, nine equals six. And we are climbing our way to the episodes here, Nick. Um, how are you doing this morning? Um, I'm guessing it was a somewhat long weekend for you with uh, the women's team uh, playing Bemidji. And of course, the men's team, as always, uh, needing that production piece against the Miami Redhawks. 
was a long weekend. And, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, Noah, I think, you know, first of all, 19 goals um, by the men's team yeah. this weekend. Wow. Uh, you know, it was a you would think that at least from even as a fan myself on the team, right, that you're you're, you're jumping in cheer and you're like, wow, we stomp these guys. No, I actually feel bad for Miami. Um, yeah, they you know, look bad. They it's it's one of those it's one of those deals where, you know, when you watch a team, and even if their record isn't great, right, there's usually at least something they do well, right? At least something. And yeah, sure, there's a lot of things that maybe aren't going their way or they're not executing well. I couldn't find really one thing Miami did well. Yeah. And it, it's actually kind of sad. Um, for those who didn't watch uh, the television broadcast, though, I, I've talked to their head coach, Chris Bergeron, a few times. In fact, once at media day and then, of course, uh, pregame on Friday. And the message is kind of the same. They just said, you know what? Structurally, we're fine, but our work ethic is not there. And you can take that two ways, right? Um, first of all, no, the structure is not great. Um, defensively, nobody, nobody was taking a man. They were all puck watching. They left one of their best goaltenders in the NCAA, in my opinion, hung out to dry all weekend. I And the fact that... I mean, heck, it was nine to one after the second year. The fact that they kept him in the game through the entire sixty minutes, I thought that was questionable. Yeah, from from what I from what I understood, their backup goaltender is is injured. He's hurt, so he's not at a hundred. They had one. Okay. Right, he, he's not at a hundred percent from what I understood. So I think he was Got kind it. of an emergency only basis. But Got it. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think it helps. And you know, you no. talk about the structure. I guess my question is, I guess we're going to open up. We're going to start with men's hockey here, quite obviously. Um. Does this yeah. series look different if it's on a normal NHL sheet in Miami? I think it, I think it does. Um, does it does it look a ton different? Probably not. Uh, but again, you bring up a good point, right? And that is something that you know when St. Cloud is one of only five, I think, Olympic rinks left: Northern Michigan, Mariucci, Alaska, and I'm trying to remember the last one. Oh, Huntsville, Alabama, Huntsville. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, that extra 15 feet of space is, is huge. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot on the, on the ice rink. Um, now, again, Miami's record would tell you that no matter what sheet you're playing on, they've been having some struggles. But I guess for me, and, you know, I don't know the answer to this, obviously, but you kind of wonder, you know, Chris Bergeron, you know, it took Bowling Green's program and brought him back to relevancy. Um, you know, did a wonderful job. But was it four straight 21 seasons with Bowling Green before taking the Miami gig? Um, but hearing that message from him, right. You know, granted, I'm not in the locker room, you know, I don't know the team out of the, you know, inside the locker room very well, but, you know, just trying to connect the dots a little bit, right. When you're hearing that message of work ethic and commitment from media day, so you hadn't played a game yet to today where it's the same message, a couple of things that strike me with that, right. First of all, what is it? Is it really work ethic or two? Is it work ethic? And has the coach lost the locker room a little bit? Because, you know, I think there's something to be said when your team isn't putting in the hard work, right? But if that's all that you're sort of preaching about, um, you kind of wonder if Chris Bergeron has been met with deaf ears a little bit, right? So, again, not totally blaming him for the way Miami season's gone, but, you know, you, you start to wonder, you know, if that message is just, you know, whether it's the players, the coach, or whatever circumstances, you kind of wonder how this weekend kind of, uh, you know, assimilated. Because, again, I feel bad. I mean, that that was not a fun one to watch. 
So, yeah, uh, you know, you know, you know, the other thing, too, is like um, I think it goes back to something simpler than that. Um, and I'm going to throw a, a, a men's rec reference. It sucks to suck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, it's it's hard to play on teams that are not performing well. And it's hard to feel like you want to win that extra foot race in the corner when things like that happen. <clears throat> I think the other thing that, you know, is challenging for Miami is that, you know, they were probably coming off one of their best games of the season. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a two to two shootout win, if you will, against, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, against the University of Minnesota Duluth. And, you know, I, there was no jump from that team. They did look defensively discombobulated. I think the big ice sheet really helped that too. But it was odd because I thought that they would look a lot better considering they played, you know, the past couple of weekends. They were, you know, trending in an okay direction coming into this weekend. I, I mean, you got to wonder, you know, with the talk potentially of Miami leaving the NCHC, and we hear rumors about that all the time. This doesn't, stuff like this doesn't help. This is, these are the things that, you know, that they push you towards the, the CCHA again. And I don't say that, you know, I know there's a lot more logistics financially and things like that that have to go into it. But if there is ever a time where the NCHC looks around and says, okay, well, who are this, who are the schools that are the backbone of this? conference you can't tell me that miami giving up 19 goals and only scoring one on the weekend you know helps their case any and for a program that you know back in 2013 was so esteemed you know think about that stretch where they had where you know blake coleman was you know in that group and they were phenomenal and they were this close to winning a national championship i mean in your eyes what has been the the issue i mean is it chris bergeron is it has it been the recruiting what what is going on in miami and what needs to be reevaluated to get this program back in a spot where they can do something again i think it does come to down to recruiting honestly um so going back to that era right uh, where blake coleman was part of you know the group you know, if you really analyze the roster, Noah, because I was looking at this yesterday a little bit just to try to give me some kind of insight, right? Right. Uh, that was still a very top-heavy team. Yeah. Um, so they weren't like a St. Cloud where you have not necessarily like a star player, right? But, you know, St. Cloud has a, has a lot of like A-, minus B plus players, right? They're, they're deep. Whereas yeah. that Miami squad had a couple of A-plus players, but then there was nothing in between. Then it went to C players. So those those top end players that they had really carried the motion. And, you know, we were having this discussion similarly with Minnesota. And that is those players didn't stick around. And so when you're trying to, you know, as in any college sport, right, at, at every year you're losing somebody, whether it's to graduation, but Miami lost players to the NHL um, since at that group essentially left right i believe you could almost say the epitome of that was 2015 probably yeah um they just kind of hit a brick wall um and they haven't really been able to restock the talent um that they had in those in during that stretch and you know you bring up the point you know not that long ago was you know when the team isn't performing well now that it's becoming harder to fix because you know how do you sell a recruiter you know a player to recruit your program when especially after a weekend like this. And again, you try not to beat the dead horse, but you gave up 19 goals in a weekend and only scored one and you didn't look 
this is going to sound really bad, but it didn't look like you belong in the same ice sheet. That's tough. Yeah. And so it becomes a, you know, a self-perpetuating cycle of H-E double hockey sticks. It really does. And it puts the program in a tough spot. Um, I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, I, I, obviously it starts with recruiting, but again, as we mentioned, you're kind of at a disadvantage there. I think you, you do have to look at the coach and, you know, see what's going on. You know, again, we don't know what, what the answer is, but I do yeah. think it starts with their talent pool. I think the the thing that was the most painful about that, and obviously, you know, great for the Huskies, good to see them have success. Um, you know, they, I predicted on MNCA that there would be a three to one win for them, and then a six to one win. Boy, did they exceed expectations! I mean, they came out of the oh gate ready to play hockey, and, and that's the other piece yeah. that's impressive. And who knows? I mean, maybe Saint Cloud State. Part of this, maybe Saint Cloud State was just really good this weekend too. Like where, at at both pieces of of puck drop. Miami felt that they were overmatched from the get-go. And then, you know, St. Cloud's, you know, how good that they were playing kind of led to that right out of the gate. And, you know, maybe it would have looked a little bit different had St. Cloud, uh, you know, not played so well. But nonetheless, I think the thing that's most painful for Red Hawks fans is that, yeah, you get your doors blown off 11-1. to 1. It happens. We watch St. Thomas have it happen in their first ever Division One game. What do they do the next night? They we responded. Came back. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> and, and Miami didn't, that's the thing. And I think that's kind of what you were, were getting to was Miami, you know, they didn't have that bounce back and, and granted, you know, it's easy for us to say, right. No, because we're not in that locker room. I mean, getting shellacked 11 to one is not pretty. Um, and especially when the season, you know, it hasn't been going well for them. It, it becomes tough to find that motivation to go back out to like you mentioned, to exude that effort, try to win those puck battles. Uh, it, that team, geez, and a first period game too, looked like they were just ready to get on the bus and get the hell out of there. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, you know, we, I forgot to mention this piece, but for travel, right. When I was uh, talking to Chris Bergeron before Friday's game too, they actually stayed, they don't start school until this week. So they actually stayed in Duluth the entire week. Um, and then bust down to St. Cloud to sort of just help with the, the travel piece, which I thought was pretty smart on their part. But I mean, still, uh, that travel piece of Miami isn't great either. Uh, but, you know, and, and again, for St. Cloud, not playing in three weeks, uh, I, you know, were they going to be rusty? Were they going to be a little bit sluggish? We didn't see that, that's for sure. Um, and like you said, Miami coming off of what was supposed to be kind of a stepping stone weekend for them, they were building towards something, um, definitely falling back to the cellar. So it's just um, a t- two teams going in opposite directions, really. Yeah, don't forget, uh, you know, that Friday against Duluth, it was only a four to one finish. I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, they've had the occasional game where maybe it was, you know, six to one or six to two, but I mean, that's, I mean, 11 goals in a hockey game. I don't know how to relate that to people who don't watch hockey. I mean, that's, that's like a, that's like a 50 to nothing win on a football field. I mean, that's a huge, huge margin. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, great for the Huskies, though. Good to see them, you know, kind of get back in the saddle. Uh, you prepare for a very tough opponent in North Dakota who was swept by Western Michigan this weekend. WMU looks like the real deal. Um, so, yeah, I think this really points up for grab for this Huskies team. I think they can handle North Dakota up in Grand Forks. I think it should be a good one. Um, and I think that this only builds momentum, and there's a lot of good, good trends, and it was a good series for the Huskies to get back. 
Um, you know, it was a points weekend for a lot of the players, obviously. But beyond that, I think it was just good for the guys to get back in the game action and feel like that they did have a little bit of jump and a little bit of confidence moving into a very tough environment in Grand Forks. Uh, let's talk about some women's hockey a little bit, shall we? Um, pretty good to see uh, them get the 2-1 to one win on Friday. I'm happy that even though they lost on Saturday, the score was the same. It was a low-scoring contest. Nick, the only thing that's really starting to concern me, well, I shouldn't say the only thing, but the main thing that's starting to concern me is at the beginning of the season, this women's team was doing a lot better job suppressing shots and shot volume, something that we had talked about them trying to continue that trend all the way through. Now, my question to you is this. Do you feel like the Huskies, especially being outshot this weekend, do you feel like that's a case of them trending in the opposite direction? Or is it also a case of them just not having played hockey for three weeks and jumping in against a team that, you know, has been a pretty even split against the last 10 or 12 matchups? It's a bit of a both, honestly. Um, you know, you can never recreate the game mentality, you know, in practice. It's just never the same. Um, something that even going back to the men's real quick, you know, Brett Larson talked about that. It goes, you know, we, we, we try to put scrimmages in place and, you know, we have a blueprint for when, maybe things get delayed or postponed to try to keep us as much in game ship as we can, but you can never fully create that. Um, so there's a little bit of rust there, but you know, let, let's be frank. The women's team has been uh, one that's kind of, that's been their just the way they've been for the last couple of seasons, right? They just said yeah. been a team that has been known to give up a ton of shots um, and also not to get, not to produce a lot of shots on that. So uh, yeah, even matchup, but more so this is, kind of in line with the historical trends last couple of years for the Huskies as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things that was nice is seeing Olivia Savar get back on the board. I think she's been, like you mentioned, a little snake bit. So good to see her get on the board as well, too. And um, Courtney Hall is having a pretty quietly decent season for the Huskies, too. She is. Um, on the assist column, of course, getting a couple of tallies as well, too, the other weekend. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I that's another piece that's challenging, too. We talked about Miami and – what they bring to the table or haven't brought to the table, the Huskies in the women's program are kind of in a similar boat conference wise. I mean, they're, there are eight and whatever is it? What was it? Eight and 13. I think they were overall. Um, mm -hmm. Let me see if I can pull up the stat here. Yes. Eight, 13 and one, but only three, 12 and one in conference play. So that's a, you know, that's a tale of two cities for them. That's a difficult piece to realize that you haven't had a, terrible season by any means it's just you drop four straight uh in the wcha kind of in the middle of november and december and that really hurts you and conference wise you're kind of out of the big dance so you know you're trying to play for things and play for pride you're trying to play for players like emma Pelusny, where they where her career is going to come to an end as a husky um you know and she sets a record like that as well too so um and it's kind of a passing of the torch, right? Emma Paluzny gets both games this weekend. Sonia Hola has been exceptional. She's going to be the goaltender of the future. There is kind of a changing of the guard that continues, even if this team isn't in a playoff spot where they have to continue to teach the game the right way and continue to build because, you know, when those seniors and fifth-year players leave, the rest of the the rest of the players have to kind of pick up the pieces and continue to build and continue to make this program better with the new incoming freshmen um, that are going to enter this program. So overall, I, I mean, I thought it was a good weekend. I'll, I'll take a two to one score regardless of the outcome any day of the week. You know, it's, it's not like they got their doors blown off. I, I'd like a little more shot suppression, but other than that, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to like from this team. Now it's going to be a heck of a test against Wisconsin next weekend. Um, and as we know, Wisconsin, one of the best teams in the country, but it's also tough. They haven't played in three weeks. So I, I think that the effort was definitely there. 
Um, and, and Nick, we, we talk about this so much. Um, I, I don't know if you got a chance to check out the women's games at all, but um, I mean, wh- where does this team go for the rest of the season? We've talked about this a little bit, but you know, Wisconsin is going to be a tough challenge, but where does this team go to continue to know that, you know, these sophomores and juniors um, and, and freshmen are going to have to continue that train. What are you building towards if, if you're those players knowing that you've got the next couple of years, but you're trying to, um, you know, finish out the season. It's the details, right? I mean, we talked about it, you know, December and November when they were in that slide. And, you know, some of the things that we saw that were concerning, right? Where, you know, you could tell that, you know, and again, when you're losing, you start to cheat the game, right? So, yep. uh, and it's a natural thing, you know, athletes and just athletes do that. But That's Miami. Yeah, right. So, you know, at, at the end of it, it's it's about executing those details. That's what makes the good teams, great teams is there's attention to detail kind of thing. So uh, again, whether you're, and it doesn't matter whether you're a freshman or a senior, in my opinion, you have to always continue to be looking in the mirror. How do I get better? Right. Is it that puck protection on the zone entry? Is it making that one decision to go opposite corner versus, you know, near corner? Um, You know, do I, you know, for this goaltender um, that likes to be a little bit deep in the crease, do I shoot low for a pad rebound? It's, it's thinking the game a little bit more in depth, right? Um, and it's going to be interesting too, because one thing we haven't talked about yet, Noah, is that uh, Steve McDonald's contract is also up at the end of the yeah. season too. So, um, you know, be interesting to see, you know, if, you know, the administration, um, uh, such the program sees that, uh, he's, he is building the program. I know it's been numbers was maybe a, t- a tough run for Steve, um, you know, since he was b- been promoted from assistant to head coach, but, uh, you know, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. So, you know, even for even for a coach, right, you know, how do I continue to, you know, is it whether it's systems or motivation, you know, the, you know, again, next steps is all about details. And that's where this team has to focus. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Obviously, we've met with Steve and, and the whole crew down there uh, plenty of times. Uh, Steve, very good guy and Molly and Janelle as well, too. Um, and I think that if you've ever been down in the Herbert's National Hockey Center, you can tell that their piece is big on recruiting here. They're really building towards, you know, 2023, 2024, 2025. They're really building towards that piece and continuing to try to compete, you know, with those programs for sure, like your Mankatos, your Bemidji's in the middle of the pack, and then trying to catch your Ohio State's, your Duluth's, your Minnesota's, your Wisconsin, and trying to get to that level. Don't forget, um, you know, it, it's easy to – look at the Huskies record sometimes and say, Oh, you know, well, this team is struggling. Don't forget they play in the best conference in college hockey, women's college hockey, and they go out and they go to these other programs out in, in the East coast. And they usually handle most of the teams that they end up playing or give them a good run for their money. And that shows you the strength of the program that they play in. Unfortunately, the Huskies just are not the top dog in the conference. And they're looking to continue to try to get uh, back to that point, hopefully, or, really to that point for the first time in program history. I think their best finish was fourth um, back in the mid 2010s. So um, we'll have to see. We'll keep an eye on the team as always. Speaking of top dogs though, Nick, uh, the Minnesota Wild have definitely, definitely impressed as of late. Um, also kind of cool coming out of uh, Iowa Wild camps, by the way, a quick little tidbit I want to throw in. Former Wild player Eric Stahl um, reports that he has made the Canadian Olympic team uh, after his professional tryout with the Iowa Wild. So uh, amazing to see him get that call up. Uh, and Canada's kind of had an interesting um, direction that they picked. The U.S. roster is very young, very youth-heavy. 
The Canadian roster is very veteran experienced. Daniel Carr, Adam Cracknell, David DeHarnay, Landon Ferraro, Ken Johnson, Daniel Winnick, former Minnesota Wild player on that squad as well. And then Mark Barbario, Jason Demers, there's a throwback name for you. And then, of course, Owen Power, um, one of the younger guys from Michigan, too. So kind of an interesting uh, uh, philosophy that's coming out of the Canadian camp there. But, uh, Nick, were you surprised? that Eric Stahl made the Olympic team, um, you know, judging by the fact that he hasn't played in the NHL? Um, or do you feel like, you know, he, he is a perfect fit for this group? Did he get 15 07? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but he got 42 in 18, 17, 17. 17. Yep. Uh, no, e- Eric Stahl's game. Uh, if there's one thing that, you know, granted, great offensive player, right. But the one thing that he does so well, is he just thinks the game's so smart, right? His hockey IQ is almost unmatched. Um, mm-hmm. He knows how to protect the puck. He knows how to read plays. Um, again, he's, what, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, he's got a long reach. So in the offensive zone, I remember when he played for the Wild, and even it was with Carolina most of his career, um, he was a player I looked at. I'm like, gosh, if only the Wild could get him, you know, right? Because he, he, he he's almost impossible to knock off the puck. He really is. Uh, so uh, to me, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, and again, like you, you mentioned the different philosophies that certain, uh, that look to be shaping up for both uh, sides, U S and Canada. Uh, you know, it's interesting, right? Cause mm-hmm. it almost seems like one, one, the Olympics and the NHL were, uh, you know, uh, sort of divorced, right. Uh, because of the COVID-19 concerns and the quarantine concerns, especially, um, I, I think you, you sort of, I don't know if you, I don't know if it's the proper thing to say, Noah, but it almost seems like the, the interest in it just kind of just plummeted as from a hockey fan standpoint. Right. So, you know, us, you know, with the young legs, um, you know, looking for some, you know, and the skill they have still looking to try to make something of it. It seems like Canada's like, all right. I mean, who, who wants to go, you know? Right. So it's, it's, and I get it, like, especially North of the border. I mean, they live to eat and breathe, you know, the game of hockey and, you know, for them not to see some of the, the most skilled players have that opportunity really in, in a more safe way, you could say without affecting other stuff back home. Right. Um, able to participate, you know, you, you kind of get the sense that they're just, all right, well, if you want to go great, we'll, we'll have fun and they're still going to be a good team. But, you know, to me, the U S is, is kind of doing a 1980 throwback a little bit, a lot of college players, um, yeah. a lot of young skill, you know, how can they put it together? Um, you know, Who's going to be the Herb Brooks character, though, on that bench? <laughs> so I don't know. Um, so, yeah, interesting. But, yeah, Aristotle can still play hockey. Had a, was it an overtime winner for Iowa Wild? One of the one of the games, too? Yeah, he did. So yeah. uh, he, he can still play at his, at his age. And, you know, good for him getting the opportunity to represent Canada again, for uh, which you know, he didn't think he would get actually another opportunity to do so. So cool for him. Yeah, the knock in Eric Stahl as of late and happens to every player approaching age 37, age 38 uh, is speed. You know, his his skating has really kind of dropped off a little bit. And at the NHL level, that is a big difference maker, um, obviously. But a lot of NHL experience on this Canadian squad if all these players are playing. Nick, let's talk about the Wild very quickly here. <clears throat> I want to also talk about our trivia question as well, too. So the question did read... The Minnesota Wild have 133 goals and 235 assists as a team, 358 points as of yesterday morning before they played Chicago last night um, in 36 games, which ranks third in goals per game behind Colorado and Florida at 3.66. What is the team record for goals in a season? I don't expect you to get that, but I'd like you to guess. Um, And what year was it? Ooh. 
the year the, the year I would imagine you might get. So I might get the year. Was it either 07, 08, or 09? No, yeah, a little more recent. Oh, would have been 17 then, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2016, 17. How many goals do you think that wild team scored over the course of 82 games? So you're talking about the not goals per game, but the total goals. Correct. Okay. Ooh. Give me a second here. Doing some quick math. <laughs> 192? Uh, 263. 263. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> math, right? Yeah. 263 goals, 446 assists for 709 points. Um, C-H-S-T-R-C-P-P-R-P-T, 33. Yeah, he's won a lot. Yeah, that's our winner. Um, yeah, you, you understood what I meant by that, right? Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> the Wild need 131 more goals and 211 assists over 46 more games, um, technically 45, um, and a little less than that after the game against Chicago to break that record. A season a clip of 2.85 goals per game, definitely doable, definitely doable from this Minnesota Wild club. Um, while they trounced Chicago on Friday night, um, they found a way to come back last night against a much better Again. Chicago team. Yeah, it, incredible the way that they've – They've done that. I think that they that's they, their 13th uh, goal say, with the goalie pulled. That's nuts. Yeah. And it's like their whatever it is, like their sixth consecutive time they pulled the net minder and they've scored or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty incredible trend. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the thing that, you know, really goes into the next tier of teams is that teams that they, they find a way to not be out of hockey games somehow that, that like, Again, as, as a broadcaster once said me, they're too dumb to realize they shouldn't be in it anymore. Um, and they came back. They continued to, uh, you know, push back, obviously. They remind me a little bit, not to jinx anything, of the Huskies of yesteryear before the AIC game, where that team was just, they were always in a hockey game regardless of the score. They just found a way to be in a contest. Now you hope the Wild have a better playoff success rate, <laughs> obviously, than that team. But Nick... As of late, a great win against Chicago. They haven't played a ton of hockey. Jared Spurgeon returns to the lineup very quickly. What is your what is your been what has been your assessment of the Wild who were doing really well, had a five game skid, and are now doing really well again? Uh, up, down, and up. Is that how you call it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think if there's anything that's really impressed me, and this is something the Wild haven't had, right? Is it seemed like in years past when you didn't have a lot of the skill, especially up front um, or even remotely, maybe the depth and back. Right. Um, it seems like one injury just completely derailed this entire team. Um, this season, they've been dealing with COVID issues on top of injuries, on top of other COVID issues. Yeah. And yeah, during that five game, five game skate, when some of those, you know, maybe not everyday players were, were in the lineup, you know, couldn't quite figure it out kind of thing. Yeah. But I might mind you again, they, they, just swept the Blackhawks on a home and home. Uh, Jonas Bergin hasn't played uh, in what almost a month now, yeah. um, and again, Spurge has been off for quite some time. So they've been. If there's anything that's been really impressive for me, and, and when Kaprizov missed one, was it just one game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with against Boston, they found a way to win that game. So you know, this team is intermixing parts and still finding different ways to, as you mentioned, be in hockey, but also to win hockey games. Yeah. Um, so I guess and, maybe and, the, 
and have contributors at the right time. Sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah. one of the things that's been exciting is, you know, when one guy starts to slump, think about how much we were waiting for Kevin Fiala to break out. All of a sudden, some kid named Matt Boldy comes along and reinvigorates this type of group and that offensive line too. It's just been contributors at the right time. It hasn't been that, you know, Jared Spurgeon or, you know, Jewel Erickson Eck has carried the team from day one till day whatever it is right now. It's been guys at various pockets. Sure, you've got your Kirill Kaprizov, who have just been a steady horse throughout most of this campaign. But by and large, it's been guys stepping up in different spots. And when it comes to the playoffs, that's exactly what you need. Sure, you're gonna have in your sure you're gonna have your Ryan O'Reilly-esque performances, you know, where you're gonna have a guy that goes in a tear during the playoffs, but you need that supporting cast that continues to be effective. I want to talk about one thing before we head to the extra ice session. It's gotten a lot of traction on Twitter. Kalen Addison sent down yesterday um, in favor of leaving Jordy Ben in the lineup. Of course, Jonas Burdine still missing, Jared Spurgeon returning, so that was the reason for that move. A lot of people have said that Kalen Addison should be on the big squad instead of Jordy Ben. Why is Jordy Ben out there instead of Kalen Addison? Nick, your take. Uh, the answer is very easy. Kalen mm-hmm. Addison is not a bottom three defenseman. Thank you. Jordy, Jordy Ben <laughs> is. So the other part of it is you can't put Jordy Ben on waivers. or Well, you can, but he's got to go through waivers if you want to put him in the taxi squad. Kalen right. Addison is waivers exempt. Um and what it also signals to me, well, at some point, Jonas Verdeen's going to be back, right? So yeah. your top four becomes Goligoski, uh, Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon, and Jonas Verdeen. Where is the top four spot for him? There isn't one. Yeah. Um, the thing about Jordy Ben and Granite, we all know his struggles. We all know that, you know, he is who he is. Uh, John Merrill and uh, Dmitry Kulikov, again, uh, they've been, you know, the best bottom three that this team has had in, you know, probably its history in terms of it, it, how steady they've been. Yeah. There's just isn't a spot for him right now. Um, and again, you're not putting him in a extra defensive role that that's not how his game um, is tailored. That's not his skill set. So it's just, it's just a matter of numbers. I mean, it sucks for him. Let's, let's be honest, right. It's, it's not awesome for Kalen Addison, but you know, you also, you don't want to try to put a square peg in a round hole. You know, that's not where he fits in the lineup. And if he's not going to get that role, not going to get that playing time, it doesn't make any sense to shelf him, get him back down, let him have ice time. Yeah. And and again, I, I think what the while they're really going to need him is probably next year, you know, yeah, right when there's for, some cap crunch. So he'll get his chance. Trust me. Yeah. For those who don't know. And I think the question mark is Dmitry Kulikov, what they're, while they're going to do with him, he might become the seventh defenseman. Alice Goligoski might drop down to that third pairing as well. And Kalen Addison, Kalen Addison is Alice Goligoski's replacement. In the future, for those who don't know, that's that's who he's going to replace, unless for whatever reason Matt Dumba finally gets moved, according to the Twitter faithful, or his contract um, is underwhelming in the offer when it expires after next season. So, um, yeah, you are a hundred and ten percent correct, Nick. Um, and people do not understand that, you know, Jordy Ben has has had an okay season. He's not, you know an absolute stalwart defensively or offensively, but in terms of a plug-in, if Jordy Ben is your worst defenseman this year, things are going right for the Minnesota Wild. And they have a supported cast of five other D that have played exceptionally well, excuse me, six other defensemen, really, that have played exceptionally well. And then you add Kalen Addison into that mix and you have options. And and that's the thing, right? And that's what all, you know kind of gets overlooked in this is, you know, the Wild have a good problem. They have too many good players, yeah. right? So it's, and, it, and, it, and this is sort of those, different conversations that you have right which is you know we we have 
guys that need to be in this role to be successful, you know, in a top four role. And we have too many of them. Um, you know, I, I think Minnesota Wild fans who've, who've watched this franchise, you know, for years, right? Since even far from me back in its inception, you would kill to have this conversation back then, you know, when you were like, this team just doesn't have the skill at all right now. It's like this, what is this makeup, right? So um, that's how this shifts. When you have good players, tough decisions have to be made for your lineup as well as for the player. And uh, unfortunately for Kalen Addison, at, at the current time, right, the numbers just don't seem to align. But as you alluded to, it, it will probably soon and probably as early as next season. Yep, when you have good people, they should be in the lineup. Luckily, at the Hoskins Warming House podcast, neither of us are good at what we do, so that's why we're both here every week because there's no one else to fill that role. But, Nick, let's head on over to our Extra Ice session. I think you're going to like this one, and I think fans will too. And welcome into the Extra Ice session for Episode 96. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson. Nick, we are pushing 50 minutes on the show. I am surprised. I am surprised that I have made it this long. For those who didn't know, we didn't announce this at the beginning of the show. I actually lost my voice yesterday. So um, if you too many high ski goals, you were cheering so much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, Got it. Yeah. So, you know, I worked the Taros game on Friday night and then woke up on Saturday and I was like, yeah, hard to broadcast without a voice. Um, so saving it for the podcast here. We're on the last leg. So if for those who have been listening and they're like, wow, his voice sounds funny. One, it always does. Um, but number two, I feel like I'm well-oiled and lubricated, so to speak. Um, so let's get this segment done before anything happens. Yes, you wanted to laugh at that. You were thinking something different. I, do, I don't appreciate that, Nick. It's fine. See me see me after dinner. Anyway, um, my two <laughs> My my two pet peeves. That's what we're gonna, that's what we're going to talk about in the extra ice session here, Nick. I think you're going to like them. Um, they kind of relate to the NHL, but this first one is across the board here, Nick. It drives me absolutely bonkers when officials do not drop the puck on a draw. You know what I mean? This whole push and pull of officials where they do the half drop and then the guys back up and they've already given away the hand of what they're going to do on the faceoff. Then they come back in the faceoff and then they do it again, but they don't drop the puck. And then the official tosses the one guy and then they do it again and they toss the other guy because the other guy's been waiting for 30 seconds just to watch the puck drop. Why is it that officials are so obsessed nowadays with making the faceoff fair? For those who don't know, a good faceoff and teams who are good at faceoffs don't win them fairly. That's kind of the whole point of the thing and part of me is like if both teams are kind of just chomping at the bit to try to get an advantage as long as it's not egregious i mean just drop the puck i, I mean am i wrong in yeah. saying that you think actually yeah because i, I think, let me, I think let me rephrase your question I, I think i think it's gone over the line i really think it has just in the sense of like there are times where yeah obviously if you have a guy who's twisted completely sideways and his head's over top of the face-off dot yeah i definitely agree but everything about a face-off is timing and officials they take their sweet time getting to the draw and then they do this kind of you know quick hip fire type thing and when that throws that off or one guy gets a better jump then it's like oh well he's cheating no he's dialed in looking at your hand ready for that puck to be dropped so let's rephrase the question a bit just to because I think you didn't really ask a question. You kind of ranted there for about two minutes. Well, it is um, my pet peeves. This, this is oh, my no. time, Nick. I, <laughs> I'm surprised you had the voice for that. Um, but, uh, you know, so the question is, when players are trying to be unfair, why are we bitching at the rest because they're trying to be fair? 
because oh, it sounds weird when you rephrase it that way, right? Because because that's how, <laughs> that's how that's how hockey is. Like that's how faceoffs have been for eons and generations. In the 1990s, oh there wasn't a faceoff epidemic. So so let's 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 dive into this a little bit of different angle, right? So you and I both know, and for those who have ever watched a single episode or maybe even a YouTube compilation of Letter Kenny, um, and maybe a guy named by the name of Shorzy, right? So uh you don't tell me that whether and the refs hear it from the players, the coaches all the time, right? The linesmen get it too, right? So it's like granted, everybody knows the game within the game, right? Let's let's call it that. And if if a guy is, is reading the, the linesman and you're not wrong by saying, hey, and as a centerman myself, you know, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, developed, you know, you, you pay attention to not the guy in front of you, you're paying attention to the ref, right? As for a good faceoff win. And, and specifically his hand, you are staring directly at the puck. Yeah. yeah. But on the on the flip side in the NHL, you're not just. Don't, don't tell me that it's all they're doing, right? They're, they're definitely trying to encroach, and things happen so fast, right, Noah? And that's partly why the linesmen have tried to essentially try to keep them guessing a little bit, right? They're trying to keep it as, you know, I'm not being an influence in the faceoff as much as I can. And granted, how, like how much can you really control on that setting, right? But I also think it's kind of funny that we're, we're, we're blaming the refs on this when it's the players that are ones that are really directing the call. So, because here's the funny thing, when I'm an opposing center and I see the guy crouching in and then the ref drops the puck and his head is biting against my forehead. You don't think that I'm going over to that linesman and giving him an earful like, Hey, why'd you drop the puck there? I mean, come on, man. It's, it's not the refs. Refs are doing all that they can. But as you mentioned, as a player, you're trying to gain every millimeter of an advantage, especially in the draw, because as we mentioned before, this game is all about possession. It's about possession of the puck, especially nowadays. So that faceoff is doesn't matter where it is, it's so important. So it's not the goddamn rest fault. Pardon yeah, my French. I I I think I think there's so many times though where guys yeah, everybody encroaches, so to speak, on a faceoff. You're not a good centerman right. if you don't, but but I think there's a lot of times where the officials are hesitant or they back players out of a face-off and it really isn't that bad. The advantage is not really that bad one direction or the other. And the but, other thing is the, it's the, the referee's the, job to control the game though. And at the end of right, the day, if, if you're trying to create a fair face-off quote unquote, right. And just as much as the players watching the ref, you don't think the ref is watching the players and the trends when he's dropping the puck and he can maybe over the course of the game, right? Maybe early on the, the players are, they're being okay right they're 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 not going too egregious as you call it right but don't tell me over the course of the game especially if a team is trying to come back and again they're not trying a little bit earlier try to go back in the circle right referee's going to see that and you know that's where you get these false starts that's where you get players toss of the faceoff dot you know you, at, at the end of the day you have to as a linesman make adjustments to the faceoff dot because again they, they can read the game, you know, and we can have this discussion with penalties, right? The, the referee's job, you know, the, people say it's just to call penalties. No, you're, you're reading the game, right? So he's got that same job as much as the the, the guys with the orange stripes around their uh, their biceps. So I don't know. It's a, what else do you want them to do? I mean, you just yeah, want to have I a just, free I, throw? I, I just think it happens too much. I think there are times where I, disagree. I think there's there are face-offs that are not – 
severely over that line that are still fair for both parties where they're having the guys back up and then they come back into the draw and then they have to back up again. And meanwhile, Nico Sturm's coming to the face that circle three times. And now you, now you know, he's going on his backhand. Now, you know, exactly where he's going to go, you know, and that's where, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I'm just well, saying what other I, poker hand does he have his forehand and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shooting off the draw, obviously. Um, I, I just think it happens too much. I think there are times, I mean, there are times where it definitely needs to be enforced. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I just think it's happening more and more in today's game. And it was never, at least from my eyes, it was never really that big of an issue on either side. I mean, there was never really. But we also forgetting one thing, the game of hockey, if you're saying it never was big of an issue, well, haven't we seen the game change quite rapidly the last 15 no, years or, the, since 1886 right about. so but again and <laughs> possessions become that much more important which means face-offs and the importance of winning those have become more important so you're seeing i think a parallel trend where face-offs because don't tell me what the officials don't know that that's important too right they want to get it as fair as possible again they don't want to be you know part of the reason why someone lost a face-off and going back to what i said earlier you really think that you know the referees at one point don't even stop, like, back the hell up. Let's reset. You know, let me try to get this dead in the dot. Let's make it a fair scrum kind of thing, right? Um, and, what's, and let me break up a second point um, after that. You know, they're doing all they can to try to keep it fair, right? Because, again, possession is important. But, you know, so much of the faceoffs now is not about the centers. It's about the wingers and the support that yeah. come into play, right? So, um, you know, the center isn't winning the draw by himself if he is. Um, his name's probably Joe Sackick, um, mm -hmm. number three or number two, for those who can count, um, Patrice Bergeron, it's Patrice Bergeron. And that's about it. Maybe, maybe, uh, Barkoff, maybe, yeah. but that's, I mean, but, and, uh, uh Victor Rask. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> but I mean, right. So it's like, you know, those little things matter. And again, you know, I, I don't, I think this is a, just a natural sort of progression of, of how this game has happened. And, you know, don't get me wrong. There are few instances where, you know, it's like, you don't need to do it three times, right? Can you get him reset? And then this is where you bark as a linesman, you know, I, I think every face off, every face off should be at center ice. You just throw the puck forward and it's a foot race. Boom. Ready, set, go. Right. <laughs> or do like your coach in practice, the ref just picks them and chucks it in the yeah. corner and says, all right, go get it. You know, yeah. like, yeah, there's there's actually there's actually a puck shooter in the jumbotron, and they just pick a direction and they <laughs> they let it go. I don't know, Nick. I mean, maybe the game shouldn't have changed. Maybe we should go back to Canes and, and the frozen horse crap because I think could this you, is frozen horse crap. No, could you imagine if a puck shooter was in the jumbotron and that hits a stanchion and goes right to the stick of Patrick Kane? How pissed off people would be if that happened? I think they would just say, "Well, that's Minnesota sports for you." I mean, I that's... mean that's also true, but my gosh. <laughs> Boy, no, I, I, I mean, but but in did, in, fair, in conclusion to this one, <laughs> it's it's I I think you're making the rest more of the martyr than they have to be. I think well, you're doing the best well, that I, I can. I honestly. think you'll you'll like my next one because it's also about officiating. Um, <laughs> did you get triggered this weekend? Are you, you okay? Know, th this this next one, I think you'll agree with me on. To be honest, maybe not. I have no idea. Um, but this Can is. We, but, you, are you on a soapbox right now? I just want to make sure. This is one that I actually noticed at the Taros game quite a bit, um, and I think you see this maybe a little bit more in junior hockey, but at the NHL level too. Interference, pick plays. Okay. You know how forwards enter the zone and defensemen close off a player, but you know 
they'll grab him or the puck, the forward will be in the corner and they'll chip a puck down low and the puck will be five feet away from the forward and they can't get free because the guy steps into him, you know, or grabs onto him there. Why are we not enforcing that one a little bit more? I'm going the other direction on this one. I understand we want to open up the game, but I think there's so many times where defensemen are riding that line. And granted, that's not their fault. I mean, it's not defenseman's fault, but they're riding that line where where the forwards are, they're not able to grab an extra step. And the defenders are like, well, if I'm X amount away from the puck, I'm just going to step into this guy just a little bit. And I, I think that there should be more interference plays called, um, you know, on the ice, because I think, if we're being honest, a lot of these slower guys, a la your Jordy Benz, are not keeping up with your Patrick Kane's, are not keeping up with your Kirill Kaprizovs, and their only solution is to step in front of them when the puck is five, six feet away. Um, and I think that it, it it goes unnoticed, and it happens all the time, and it happens more and more because the game is getting faster and faster. Ooh, I have a, I have a pretty good one for this one. Okay, so it's not as easy as you think. Honestly, it, al- it always is. <laughs> Hockey's a simple game. Nick, small biscuit, big basket, not hard. I forgot you're from North Dakota. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, let's let's do the breakdown, shall we? Um, let's first define two terms. Let's define interference and let's define obstruction, because that's important to differentiate, right? So, because we're we see, we see the trends in officiating now is interference is basically like. I'm getting in the way of your ice, this and that. Preventing you from the the rule says that you're impeding progress. Right, impeding progress. And obstruction is kind of the same thing, although you know it's more of like and and obstruction is what I had in my colon last week. Shut up. I'm not even gonna. (laughs) Wow. Did it? Did at least light up? Anyways, so (laughs) yeah, I had uh, I had to phone home. Oh, yeah. 911 was the phone number. Uh, so back to the obstruction part. Oh, my gosh. Now that we're talking about obstructing bowel movements, my goodness gracious. Um, so this is where. OK, so let's just let's take your example. Right. So first of all, what's two players are trying to enter the zone? You know, you have a forward and you have a defenseman. Right. You're at the blue line. Forward trying to dump the puck in. Puck's off a stick. It's in the air. It's 10 feet away. Right. The way that the officials look at like ice, and what I mean by that is there's a spot on the on the rink. Whose is that? Well, technically, if no one's there, both people have the right to be in that spot, right? So why this is not as clean cut as I think you want it to be is the progression of these penalty calls are, well, first of all, was somebody in that ice one? Number two, um, and this has kind of been the NHL's way of looking at it. Are their feet moving? And then that's where you kind of get that interference, right? So going back to your Jordy Ben incident, if Jordy Ben is flat-footed, which even if he's moving, he kind of is anyway, but separate <laughs> conversation. Um, you know, if, if he's not moving his feet and someone's trying to get around him, right, and he impedes progress, so he skater goes right up to his chest and Jordy Ben doesn't you – know, basically skate try to skate with his direction and not just shadow him like we would say a cornerback in football but just almost kind of stand him up if you want to call it that's an interference call right yeah um and then you have obstruction calls where say 
Jordy Ben is skating to the best that he can. And then he's maybe grabbing him a little bit or using the stick to kind of hook him a little bit, right? Those obstruction type calls, right? That's where those seem to be less called. As long as you're moving your feet and if there's an engaged battle with both players, the trend has been let them play it out. Right. right? That's, what, that's what I'm saying. That's what keeps happening is that, you know, a four check is absolutely stymied because the guy, <clears throat> you know, let's say he's on the half wall. There's been a battle for the puck. He emerges with the puck and he's going down towards the goal line. Right. He gets the puck. He turns, surveys his options, sees the defenseman coming at him, and then he chips it down below the goal line and turns to move his feet and start chasing that puck. And the defenseman, knowing that because he's facing the defender and was fronting him, knows that he's not going to be able to swivel his hips and he's already flat-footed. So instead of turning towards the puck, he turns at a diagonal angle towards the puck carrier and he'll take two steps and just try to impede the progress before he ever takes more than one hard stride so that it looks like, oh, they were just tangled up. When in reality... He knows that that guy's going to win the foot race. So he's stepping in front of him to impede that progress. And it's like the guy is trying, he's chipped the puck by the defender, made a nice play, but now he can't almost get free and get off of that defender because the defender knows that if he lets him go, he's screwed and it's a loose puck and it's free. And I think it happens in the offensive zone, especially quite a bit below the goal line. And it, and it ruins four checks. Because defensemen realize, oh, when I can get away with this once, I'm going to do it all night. And that's, I don't blame a defenseman for doing that. But it makes life a living hell for a forward because, you know, if you're a guy who's trying to grind it out and every time you chip a puck past a defenseman, he's taking you instead of the puck beyond reasonable measure, beyond finishing your check. I think it happens more and more way too often in the game and nobody really does anything about it i mean maybe that's just hockey maybe that's never going to change but i think that you know that's how some of these slower guys have stayed in the game because they're they're doing that sort of gamesmanship and i think it should be called more i really do so i'm gonna laugh a little bit because we you first talk about well, linesmen dropping the puck and hey, these guys just try to cheat. And now that defensemen are cheating, now you're advocating for it. So I'm kind of con- I'm kind of confusing your state because <laughs> a little because, bit here. because like because <laughs> because because when you go into interference, the the scale is already imbalanced. The forward has already made the play that should right. allow them to continue their progress. They made a play that they now have but, the upper hand but you're, but you're but you're only talking if they're skating a straight line and when the fucking hockey does that ever happen i'm like, not saying the there's, i'm not saying they're sta- skating in a straight line i'm saying it's almost like i wish i could show it to you but like i know i, I know what you mean like so yeah it's, it's like there's a puck battle in the corner the forward curls away from pressure and gets free and ships the puck or, or is moving you know forces the puck down the wall essentially and yeah. they've got a step or two on the defenseman. The defenseman is like, well, screw it. I'm just going to latch onto this guy and step into him for half a second before he can ever really get his feet, you know, full stride or, or full full movement. And it's like, well, I right, think it but- happens so much where it is over the line and it needs to be, it doesn't have to be called 10,000 times in a game, but I think it needs to be enforced a little more so that defensemen don't take that huge liberty. It's you know, about it, it's about timing. No, that's the thing. So the, when you do see it called, it's when does he step into it? It's just like how it, it's the same, and I'm pretty confident in this and how it's actually preached to the referees. It's no different than finishing a body check or the eligibility of someone to be checked when the puck's left the stick, 
right? So, and again, I have just as much right as a defenseman of that ice as the forward does. And if I pivot and turn, and this is where that game within the game, you know, you can see where I, I can step to the right and maybe my hit goes out to him. But that to me, it's like, I just have as much right to that ice as he does, right? So I see it as, you know, if the puck's off a stick and I make a turn and I take a little bit step toward the middle, he's got to get one step around me. That's a good defensive play, right? That's how I see it. Now, if I turn, we don't, we're, we're, you know, we're not in each other's lanes per se. Right. And then as we get closer to let's say a loose puck and then I step in and then, you know, try to actually impede progress. Then that's when you see interference and an obstruction type penalties called. Right. So I think timing's important of it because you can't take away the defenseman's ability to skate in any one way or direction. And number two, how many times in this podcast have we said, uh, what about the guys without the puck? Where's the, where's the puck support? Right. So, I can you can void the entire argument by saying, you know, those that F2 and F3, if, if they're reading the play and they're coming in, that's when they are supposed to step in because you know that the puck here is going to have its progress impeded, right? It's yeah, it's, but, it's, but, 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 but you can say the defenseman has as much of a right to the ice as the forward, but you also have to be able to say the forward has as much right to be able to not freely but reasonably pursue a loose puck. That it's is a been, gray area. That's the yeah. thing. And that's and that's and that's what I'm saying. Like I said, I don't think every time that a forward chips a puck down the wall and a D-man takes half a step towards them that we should be like, oh my gosh, get in the box for 10 minutes. I'm just saying I'm just kind of what you said. Not I mean, I'm just saying I think it needs to be policed a little bit more because defensemen but, but you, what's you, the line you, then? Right? Because But if, that's what if, I'm saying. I think the line needs to be narrowed a little bit and we need to call it a little bit tighter because of all the things that we've continue to enforce more and more you know how the nhl has that whether like they want to crack down on slashing this year or whatever it is i think interference often gets overlooked and as you know with any hockey player and understandably so the more you can stretch that line and gain an advantage the more you're going to do that and right now i think as an attacking forward i think the advantage has really gone to the defensemen mostly because defensemen are getting burned by these guys with speed or guys who are really strong in the corners or really effective in the corners your marcus felinos your Anche kopitar's guys Guys like that and i think defensemen are are the beneficiary of the way that that rule is interpreted a little bit i'd like to see it be called a little bit more not a lot but i'd like to see it be enforced a little more because i think there are times where it's like okay it's been more than a second and you're still hanging on to this guy let him go get the puck or if you're not gonna almost, let him go i i would almost argue that it happens more when defenseman can stay look at quinn hughes i mean for vancouver i mean think about this if, if i know i can keep up with the ford you know, I don't necessarily have to give him that gap. I can have a close gap. He chips the puck around me, and then I can move my feet, but then I can also shift my way back and forth and really make it hard for him to get around me. So I'm, I'm not trying to kill your point, but right. I, I but, kind but, of but, did. <laughs> but but what's, what's your intention? If you're if you're what you're talking it doesn't matter about, the intention. What, 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 yes, it does. What no, you're talking what you're talking about is a, a good lateral moving defenseman is what you're trying to talk about. A guy who can no. move. What I'm saying. If, if I what, pivot, if I pivot 180 degrees, if, if let's just say it's a it's a simple chip down the wall. It's a, it's a four check type play, and it's F1 okay, trying to go okay, to get the so, puck in so the corner. A, so a defenseman good on his edges, a good lateral moving defenseman, or a defenseman who's good on his edges. Great. Footwork. Either way, you can still whether you're slower but, or or but more what, skate. But what, what's your intention? If you have that skating ability, why are you taking the man there then? If 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 you're Quinn not taking, 
that's so, what I'm saying. You, you need you, your direction. You can battle with a player, but I'm saying your intention. We talk about this in body contact all the time. When you teach it ever since you're a peewee, all the, well, not so much peewees anymore. It used to be, um, as it should be, whatever. That's a different discussion. But you're taught to play the puck first, then the man. And what I'm saying is a lot of these defensemen are playing the man first as opposed to the puck. If you turn your yeah. feet, if you turn your feet and you're shoulder to shoulder with me as we're going towards the puck, I've got no issue with that. It's guys who know that they're beat. And instead of turning around and either going back towards the front of the net or turning and taking a line to try to cut off that play, they step into the player knowing that that player is going to beat them. You know, that, so I mean, that's, that's just a battle for position on the ice. No, in my opinion. So again, but you know, it's interference. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. If I, okay. As long as if I don't impede your, your, your progress, right. If I'm, and here's the other thing. Why is it the onus always on the defensive player, right? Let's say the offensive player, we saw this from some certain players. Um, if, if the offensive player is engaging physically in the defender first and who the hell's impeding who, yeah, but the defenseman, there's a reason he's called the defender because he does not have the advantage because he does not he's have the puck. He's got the same right to the ice in the puck in front of him. Yeah, he does if he turns his feet and goes towards the puck and plays it appropriately. <clears throat> That's what I'm saying. If you turn, if, okay, I'm on the goal line in the corner, right? We're going back to the corner again, okay? And I chip the puck down below behind the net, right? And you're you, need a, you need a whiteboard just for those who are watching right. this. <laughs> and you're facing me. You're facing directly into the corner, and okay. I'm facing basically directly towards behind the net, okay? And I start to move my feet towards that loose pot. Your feet should be turning with me and towards the puck, and your your feet should be almost moving laterally, and then you're transitioning towards that puck with me. As long Says as you're who? doing that, <laughs> as long as you're doing that, I have no problem with it. It's when guys do not do that and instead they take one step diagonally down to basically the the end of the hockey rink and they try to step into the player instead of turning that extra whatever it is 30 degrees and pursuing the puck with the player they're taking the man instead of taking the puck and that's what that's what I'm saying what is your intention if you turn to me and you're side by side with me but I know that you're you're level with me and you're trying to trying to pursue do the I, pocket pursue. do i get the sense that you're pissed off that maybe you're slow when people are getting in front of you I, ha- and- I have i have no problem in the corners i i lived in the corners man i really did because i'm six foot four i had to live in the corners i had to live with that wingspan but what i'm saying is guys do it all the time i mean guys do it in rec league all the time where they know that they're beat and obviously rec league is not the same but it's a similar concept where the guys know that they're beat and instead of turning to pursue the puck or just living to fight another day and letting the weak side defenseman do that or whatever the case may be, they just take one diagonal step into you and interrupt your first or second stride by half a second. And as you know, as you say, hockey is all timing. That makes all the difference in the world between sustaining a forecheck and your defensive partner, your centerman coming in, taking the puck and exiting the zone. And I'm just saying, I think there are times, and yes, it's a subjective gray area. That's why we're talking about it so extensively. But I think we are you. (laughs) <laughs> but, I th- but, but, I th- but I think it happens a little bit more where I think that that line, that margin is getting wider and wider. And generally it benefits a defenseman or a defending forward because they're defending in their own zone. I think it's happening more and more because the game has gotten so much faster 
And it's it's a little 1980s to me, man. It's a little bit too much clutch and grab. And I don't know. I just wish that officials would set a precedent sometimes in some of these hockey games because I think that defenders can get away with it. And then you see teams that are speed and skill-based, like the St. Cloud State Huskies, not establish a forecheck because their defensemen are latching on every time there's a chip and chase play. I don't know. I, I kind of feel, again, I, if, I, if, if I have... If I'm a step in front of you as a defender going back towards my own end to chase a puck, and yeah, if I feel like you're Connor McDavid, I'm going to step into your lane and I'm going to try to slow you down. And that's what's happened in the NHL. And again, as long as you know you may move your feet, the precedent has already been set, Noah. The precedent is if you're moving your feet, they understand that not every player can skate the same freaking speed. Um, as long as you know you're you're not. You know, so, so, so why should a player like Connor McDavid be hindered by someone like Jordy Ben? Even if Jordy Ben turns and moves his feet, if you're beat, so, you're beat. So, so should I just give him a free pass? I'm not saying you shouldn't. Saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't. And obviously, within reason, every forward knows that when they chip, when they chip a puck around a defenseman entering the zone, right? They know that when they chip a puck off the glass, they kind of have to do like a football juke off of off of the line, like a wide receiver does. We get that. We understand that. We accept that onus or whatever you want to call it. But I'm saying, I think that that line that that you're alluding to where they can step into the lane, I think at times is going a little bit too far. And I wish officials would call it just a little bit more to bring that margin back down ever so slightly. That's all I'm saying. Right. And the game would be more exciting as a result because you would have more forechecks and more forwards establishing puck possession in the offensive zone. So I don't, I, that's the thing is, I don't know how you would actually would enforce that because at the end of the day, again, if, if, if you and I are shoulder to shoulder, looking the same way, we both look at that sheet of ice in front of you, both have a right to that. I just, I just don't know how you can. Yeah, you're right. Shine shine that down. That's that's right. We both have, we both have a right to that ice. If the ice that you're talking about is where the puck is and we're both equally pursuing it. Not even that. Even if you're not pursuing the puck, no, that's the problem that we're making here is that every player has a right to ice it's in front, whether you're pursuing the puck or not. That's the thing. It's, you know, you're you're making the discretion that because there's a puck battle that could be taking place and now all of a sudden that's where things get escalated. No, that's not how this works. That's why you're that's why you even see away right. from the puck. Right. Away but, from the puck. But here's hold the on. thing. No, here's... hold on. When you're away from the puck, no, I would even say Instead of focusing on the like the battle for the puck, I would actually argue watch the battle away from the puck. I would say there's a lot more clutch and grab for people yeah. trying to get into free ice. I mean, sh- goodness gracious, look at the net front battles and the pucks at the blue line. Um, you're trying to tell me, that, I mean, what's you're talking about impeding and clutch and grab? I mean, those guys they're not really necessarily skating that much, but the the argument is still the same. You know, it's it's these obstruction and, you know, these sort of let the offensive player, you know, I want to make sure they they have a fair chance to the puck. Well, what's the line drawn then? But that's but that's what I'm saying is like, okay, if you have a puck that's whatever, it's four feet behind a defenseman, defenseman standing here, there's two feet of open ice to him. At what point do we say, yeah, he's entitled to that ice unless he impedes the progress of another player entering that ice at what it's, point it's do you not s- it's, it's not a linear thing that's the problem because i understand that if it was if it was we went to ben here for 25 minutes but you brought it up <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just saying i think that 
as I've watched the game more and more at the NHL level, at the Division One level, at the NHL level, I think defensemen are getting away with a little bit more and more time between when the puck has gone by them versus when they turn to engage, you know, the player. Be, let's say, you know, and obviously since 1990 has that gone down quite a bit, yes. But since the fly zone NHL has opened up back in 2006, I think defensemen are starting to get more canny at buying an extra half a second, which is a huge deal in the hockey world because they have that little bit of extended liberty. It feels like as the years go on, where if they would just enforce it like they do where they pick a rule every year, like slashing or cross-checking, I think you can mitigate some of those things. You know, I think it would open the game up more because defensemen would be more aware of where they are positionally in relation to themselves versus the puck carrier, so to speak. They're more focused on – we talk about Nick Lidstrom. Think about how good Nick Lidstrom was. I don't think Nick Lidstrom ever threw a body check in his NHL career. Why? Because he was so positionally sound, Right. Versus well, isn't other- that kind of what this is? You can you can be positionally sound by taking the right ice, the right angle, and you don't have to make body contact. Right, but I'm saying some confused. I, I'm saying when it happens when guys are engaging with players, they're not doing that. Like I said, when you enter the zone, you chip a puck past a defender. You're going to take one step to the right or left, and you're going to try to make my route a little bit longer. Right? We accept that as a forward. We accept that. Where I have a problem is where they take two steps that direction or they step into you a little bit and it's like, now you've impeded my progress. Not to say you should give me free ice. I think that's what we're going back to. Not that the ice should be free, but at the same time, you you have to allow the player to be able to pursue a loose puck just as you would be able to turn and pursue a loose puck. Yes, you can battle with them. But you can't just step in front of a player's lane for the purpose of stepping in front of a player's lane. And that's what I think is happening is defensemen are realizing that they're beat. And instead of taking the half a step or one step or whatever it is to make the four go around a little bit longer, they're actually impeding the progress. They're actually slowing up the strides or the progress of the player. You know, is it going to be subjective? Is it going to be called every time? No, but I think it happens quite a bit. And you see good defensive teams, credit to them do it and shut down really good speed-based teams because they know they can get away riding that limit just a little bit longer. So again, we, you know, in conclusion, you're okay with, (laughs) well, no, you're okay with face-off cheating and gaining that edge, but you're not okay with this type of cheat of what you call because, because the face-off cheating, the face-off possession, either way, you're talking about possession of the puck, either way you slice it. I'm just saying the, the face-off, I have no, I just want the officials to drop the puck after the first or second time, but the face-off cheating by and large, this is going to sound odd, but the cheating is kind of equal. Like both teams do it at the same time. When a forward is pursuing a puck, the forward is not cheating. The forward is pursuing the puck. The onus is on the defenseman within reason to not give him free ice, but you can't, you know, I can't tackle you when you enter the zone. You know what well, I mean? I think, and I think the NHL has been consistent in, in, in how they've called that, right? So if as long as basically you're not throwing a body check effectively, and again, you know, I go back to my one argument and before I wrap this up, that is, you know, there's forwards that engage physically with defenseman first before the defenseman does, right? So you have that where they're almost trying to draw the obstruction call too, where it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of 
almost trying to force that impedance as well and then try to get the eye of the referee. So that's part of it, too. There's some gamesmanship on both sides of that battle, too, in all. Well, sure, absolutely. I mean, fours reverse hit players all the time. I love reverse hitting people. Should it be a legal play? I don't know if it should. I mean, why? Why when well, I? Well, it's get not to... illegal if it gets you the advantage, right? Right. No, but no. But what I'm saying is like, <laughs> but, but, but but like, but like, think about this. Like, a reverse hit actually makes zero sense. I get oh, to I the know, puck. Right? I get to the puck first. I touch it, and that means I can back up and throttle you with my shoulder. Makes no sense. You know. Technically, if you want to talk about something that's more clear cut, that should be an interference call. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with you there. So why why didn't we talk about that soapbox? Because that wouldn't be fun for the listeners. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll have that. We'll let them decide. I suppose. Huh? Well, you tell are you tell me. Regardless of who you agree with, are you telling me you didn't have fun today? I had fun today. Whenever I get to yell at you, it's fun. So it's you fun. know what? And I think and and my voice is getting better and better as the day goes along. So that's exciting. I think that's exciting. Speaking of things that are exciting, um, besides obstruction calls, everyone's favorite, right? Um, <clears throat> Or interference because they're different apparently. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> thing things that are uh, exciting to look forward to on the docket. The St. Cloud State women's hockey is going to be at home this weekend. They're going to play Wisconsin, um, and men's hockey is going to be in my territory of confusion, um, and that's North Dakota, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, I'm going to keep talking because I know you want to jump in, and I know what you're about to say, or something along the lines of, and I'm not going to let you have your moment. Um, the Minnesota Wild, we're also going to take a take a quick look um, at them and what their schedule has got coming up. I think the Wild have kind of an odd schedule like we were talking about earlier. They do play Montreal on Monday, and then, yeah, they are off until Friday and then Sunday between the Rangers and Islanders um, on that swing, and then Chicago on February 2nd. That's a Wednesday. So the Wild um, kind of a sporadic little schedule. Um, again, so Nick, do we have anything else? I don't think so. That we have to add for episode 96. I don't think so either. Um, yeah, we're going to be back with, of course, episode number 97 soon, and we'll see you in the den next week. And your one timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.